Welcome to the Missouri Catholic Conference from the Capital Podcast, where we take a deeper look at the social and political issues facing Missouri and the Catholic Church and how those issues will impact public policy. I'm Jamie Morse, Executive Director of the MCC. Joining me today is Destiny Herndon De La Rosa. Destiny is the founder of New Wave Feminist, a pro-all-life feminist organization that advocates for the dignity of all, of all the vulnerable through a consistent life ethic. Destiny is also the co-founder of the Stellar Shelter, a facility that provides temporary housing for vulnerable, pregnant, or parenting single women and their children as they wait on their asylum cases in Mexico. Destiny, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, before we get into the specifics of your work with New Wave Feminist, would you like to just kind of share with us how you became a pro-life advocate? You know, I think I was born to be one. My mom was 19. Um, she got pregnant with me when she was at the University of Texas in Austin and could have easily had an abortion. And she didn't. And, you know, so kind of growing up with that as the model, realizing that, you know, I mean, at the time that was just my life. I thought that that was normal. Like you get pregnant, you have a child, but then realizing all the struggles that she incurred. And I think that's also kind of what built up this feminist part of my pro-life, you know, life ethic was the fact that she had to quit school, you know, had a couple failed marriages. Like we struggled with, you know, poverty and a lot of instability growing up. And none of that should have happened. You know, if we were in an equitable society, she would have been able to continue her education and really set both of us up for just a better um, quality of life. But because we don't live in that world and there's still a lot of progress that needs to be made. Um, and then on top of that, when I was 16, I became pregnant myself, like continuing that cycle, which if anybody knew better than to do that, it was me, but um, found myself in that same position. So I've kind of been on both sides of it as the unborn child and also like the scared woman. And I think that that is, you know, kind of what's led to our activism being a little bit unique. We don't focus a lot on the laws. It's much more, you know, why was my mom able to choose life? Why was I able to choose life? It's because we had our basic needs met. We had community, we had family. And so how can we provide that for other people in the same type of situations? No, and I think that brings up a good point too. You know, you mentioned kind of the feminist aspect of it. And, you know, I, I think today, a lot of people don't immediately think feminist and pro-life are descriptions <laughs> that, that go together, at least politically uh, these days. But, you know, can you explain how, how these things shouldn't be in conflict with each other? Yeah, to me, it's the most consistent feminist belief because, you know, as feminists, we believe in bodily autonomy. But when does that bodily autonomy exist? I would say at your most vulnerable points, when you are truly, you know, this innocent, vulnerable, unborn child your bodily autonomy should be intact as far as being protected from violence. So from the moment your body first exists, I think it should be protected. And then also, you know, we talk about kind of patriarchy. I think a lot of times people think that means we hate men, which is not true. I love men. I've made two men with my feminine body. So <laughs> thank you men. But it's more the fact that we have a society that was built by men and for men. And a lot of times it doesn't accommodate female fertility. And so when we're looking at you know, the the structure of patriarchal um, society that a lot of times was might makes right. You know, females are weaker. And so there are property and they were kept vulnerable for all these years and treated however anyone wanted and discarded. And 
the fact that now we've, as feminists, uh, the modern feminist movement kind of taken on more of a patriarchal stance where we're doing the exact same thing to the unborn child. It's the epitome of might makes right. Because I'm bigger, stronger, you're weaker, more vulnerable. We can, you know, discard of your body and your being. It just, it doesn't align with my feminist views. No, and no, and, and I think it's fair to say you've probably you know, do you have you received blowback from either side of the spectrum on this, you know, whether from the pro-life side or from the feminist side. I know there was a dust up a while back with the women's march. Uh, are you the only group that has, has marched in the women's march and the I march think, for life in D.C.? I think there were a couple others. And, yeah, I was actually going to make the joke that, no, we're incredibly popular everywhere <laughs> we go. We're so popular. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely I mean, abortion has become synonymous with feminism, modern feminism, which is crazy because that's not the history of, you know, the suffrage movement and the feminist movement at all. But in the last, you know, since really the 70s, it kind of started becoming so intertwined with abortion. And so when the Women's March took place in 2017, we were a sponsor for four days. And it was wonderful. And uh, I, I'm not going to lie, I was shocked that they let us in. I like I filled out the application to be a sponsor. And I'm like, while we oppose abortion, here's all the things we agree with you guys on. And I don't know if they just rubber stamped us or what, but we were up on the website. And the so, check cleared for the sponsorship. Yeah, and yeah. Off and, you go. <laughs> and then like the Atlantic and a couple other places, um, you know, started kind of writing about it. And then feminist Twitter lost its mind. And they were like, how dare you let these anti-woman like disgusting pro-lifers in? And it was the best thing that ever happened to us. It really put us on the map. I was, I did like 200 interviews in a two week period of time, real baptism by fire for me learning how to like, you know, present our message and do elevator pitches. But I think the crazy thing was people definitely expected um, us to talk trash about the Women's March. Like a lot of conservative sites wanted us to be like at odds with them and say bad things. And we weren't because, again, we agreed with, you know, a lot of their stuff talking about racial justice, talking about migration, talking about the humanity of human beings outside of the womb. They, they just didn't get that last part right. And so um we ended up going to the Women's March. It was a wonderful experience. Like the people there treated us wonderfully. And they're like, oh, those are those pro-life feminists. I actually had one woman who stopped, like she was walking past me and she stopped and whispered in my ear. She goes, I saw you on Fox News this morning. Good job. And I was like, what? I was like, I'm going to tell on you. You shouldn't be here either then. Like we should both get kicked out of here. But I... I think the diversity of actual like boots on the ground people um, is so much different and more nuanced than the talking heads uh, would lead us to believe. Like we're not nearly as divided as I think they want us to think we are. Yeah, I try to remind myself and remind others Twitter isn't real life. No matter what you think, no matter what you see on there, that there is that that common thread that most of us can agree on, you know, at least 80, 90 percent. But I, I, I just love the secret group of women all, you know, whispering about Fox News. <laughs> just don't just don't, don't blow my cover. So. Now, with your work with New Way Feminist, uh, you know, you're based in Texas, so a lot of a lot of your work is, is on the border. And so could you kind of just let those that maybe aren't familiar with the group know, you know, what type of work that that you do, um, you know, with, with these pregnant and, and uh, women on the border? Yeah. So back in February, we um, opened our own shelter. We had been working on the U.S. and Mexico side of the border for a couple years, but we actually ended up opening our own shelter. So it's a consistent life ethics center that we have in Juarez, Mexico, just on the other side of El Paso. And El Paso and Juarez, 
basically one big city that's separated by a border. And, um, you know, we just saw that there was a need there. My board member and best friend, Karina Berseda, actually uh, founded the shelter with me. She lives there. So this is her community. I get to do the fun stuff like bring down donations and fundraise, which is a blast. Um, but let me tell you how much I hate that. But anyway, <laughs> that's the part I get to do. But she she does the real like everyday work and um, helping really vulnerable women. People have been through the most horrific stuff you can imagine and their children like request asylum. And the main thing in Juarez, especially, you know, it's kind of quickly becoming like the capital for femicide down there. It's incredibly dangerous to be a woman. It's especially dangerous if you have a child because, you know, things that you might not let happen to your person. Um, if somebody says, well, I, we're going to protect your child if you do this, like women are just much more inclined to, um, you know, be taken advantage of and exploited down there. And so we realized they they need the same stuff I needed at 16, but to more of an extreme, they need a roof over their head, food in their mouth, clothes on their back, prenatal care, you know, stuff like that. And then we also saw that there was this divide within the movement that everything was so political that it's like pro-life's over here on the right, migration's over here on the left. And in a lot of ways with both of those issues, people do keep us divided and talking about them. Um, and they're a great source of votes and power and all this type of stuff. But what are we actually doing to help the person right in front of us? Like, how do we actually love people? Like, set aside the politics. How do we actually focus on people? And for us, that was giving them a safe harbor, you know, a place to be while they wait out their asylum cases. And um, a lot of people don't understand it, but just like with New Wave Feminists, where it's like pro-life feminist, I hate one of those words, you know, uh, <laughs> kind of the same is true for the work we're doing along the border because, you know, obviously left-leaning people support us supporting migrants. Uh then we have right-leaning people who maybe are kind of, you know, weird about the immigration issue. But at the same time, you'll often hear them say, why don't they just come here legally? I, you know, agree in, in principle because of the fact that if someone comes here documented, they're going to be less easily exploited, right? Like yeah. if we know that um, people are kind of keeping track of them and, and watching these human beings, then they're less likely to be trafficked, exploited, you know, human just what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not trafficking, but even just, uh, just, just exploited. Yeah, yeah. Exploitation. Yeah. I, sorry. My brain's fuzzy this morning. I'm only <laughs> on my first cup of coffee. Anyway, <laughs> I normally have this down pat, but like, it's something where we would also like those proper channels to happen because it protects the women and children that we're serving. Sure. And so for people who say, you know, why don't they come here legally? Oh, awesome. Then would you like to make a donation to us? Cause we're making that possible. We're, we're actually doing something that allows that to happen. So there's kind of just like with new wave feminist and pro-life feminism, something for everyone to hate, but also something for everyone to love. And the concept itself I think is, is pretty solid. Um, how do you see the human dignity of the human being right in front of you? And in my mind, there's nothing more pro-life than that. That is our job as a pro-life people to see the humanity in every human being. No, and, and I think that's that's obviously the sphere, you know, I, I come at this working for the Catholic Church and that that's how we look at it. Everything should be driven by, you know, the dignity of, of the human person and what can we do to further that dignity and respect that dignity, protect it. But we, you know, will run into some of the similar, I guess, difficulties of that doesn't align with either political party, you know, so, so we will get that too, where it's on one hand, oh, you're too liberal or you're too conservative, you're not pro-life, all you focus on is pro-life. 
But I guess, and I'd be curious as your thoughts on this. It seems like, though, especially with, and this is where I, I sound kind of like a like an old, a very very old man, but with the youth, um, you know. <laughs> but but for the young people, I think there is a desire for this type of advocacy, though. Don't you think this consistency of not being afraid to being able to advocate on one hand for the unborn, but also turning around, whether it's a pro-family policy, whether it's, um, you know, uh, helping migrants at the border, that that there's a desire for that, is there not? Yeah, I think there absolutely is. And I think that if you're being truly consistent, you know, womb to tomb pro-life, you're not going to fit comfortably in either political party. Like I'm an independent. Um, To me, Susan B. Anthony would be ashamed, but like voting is such an annoyance. Like I hate having to do it because I'm like, nobody, just nobody. Can I vote for nobody? Like, no. Uh, And so you kind of have to pull things together and say, okay, which, which system, which um, candidate can I work within the confines of what they're doing and challenge them to be more consistent. Right. And it's never very neat and tidy. Um, I wish it was, but it's not. But I think that young people are kind of seeing through that because the older generation, you know, I'm a elder millennial and we got so used to kind of compromising on stuff because, well, as long as you believe in the right to life, as long as you'll protect children in the womb, then we'll kind of, you know, look at death penalty or war or poverty, immigration, all these other things and kind of water down, um, you know, our beliefs on that. And then before you know it, you've dehumanized a huge swath of people and same on the left. I mean, I, I don't, first of all, I think I'm actually anarchist at this point. I don't think anybody is going to solve the problem. I think we have to, they're not coming to save us. We have to save ourselves. So, that's why like voting politics all it's it's an annoyance it's something that it's whatever but that cannot be your form of like you know civic duty at all um to to be an active member of a society or a faith or anything else that says that you care about human beings like it should go so far beyond the ballot box the ballot box is the laziest form of activism like how do you love the people right in front of you? And for different people, that's different. You know, people in your community with disabilities, people uh, who are elderly, like the single mom on your block who, you know, is up at 3 a.m. with a colicky baby. Maybe it's a matter of like going over there and sitting with her child so she can take a shower or taking her a meal. Like, how do you actually put your pro-life beliefs in action? Like, it has to be a verb. Like, and none of that has to do with what bumper stickers on your car or how you vote. Well, and and I mean, I, I come at this, obviously, we do work the public policy side of it, and, and we do work on the legality. And that is important. And same thing with the Dobbs decision. And you and I have talked prior about this, that, you know, it Roe was un, as an unjust and, and poor legal decision. It needed to be overturned, but that's that's just the beginning of the story now. That that the true work you know goes on, and I, I think you were the one uh, you know I'd read that uh, when the Dobbs decision had leaked, had kind of had kind of indicated, and you were not, weren't the only one, but that the country wasn't ready for the overturn of Roe. And, you know, I guess, could you kind of explain what you meant by that? And, and does, does, do you still hold that, uh, you know, a year out now from the Dobbs decision? I think that Roe, you know, it took almost 50 years for this one milestone. And to me, it's, it's like the lowest rung on the ladder. And I think pro-lifers hate to hear that, but it's like all that work and effort and everything you did in this one place, like, that is like 
just the beginning. Like it's ground floor the beginning. I'm not even sure we've taken a step up. Like what has to happen is true systemic change. Like we have to create a culture that is equitable for women and conducive to new life. And that is so much bigger than laws. And obviously like I completely understand laws against violence and protecting human beings. But at the same time, I can tell you that the scared 15 year old that calls me, like she doesn't always necessarily care what the laws are. Like she's, there's a great Frederick and Matthews Green quote where she says, no woman wants an abortion as she wants an ice cream cone or a Porsche. She wants it as an animal with its leg caught in a trap, wants to not sell free. That's the level of panic that, um, pregnant people are feeling when it's an unplanned for pregnancy. And so they care about how, how do I survive? And they don't really care what, you know, Ted Cruz or Biden or Trump or they don't care. That's not their reality. That's not what's affecting them. Um, and by the way, I'm I'm now realizing I'm the rudest podcast guest because I'm like, oh, that thing that you spend all this time on, I don't care about it at all. I I do, and keep I was just going to cut you off and 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 end the podcast. Edit all that out. Yeah, <laughs> keep doing that. I just I think that the systemic thing, and here's where I do think like the legal side of stuff and policy makes a huge difference. Is you know, my mom always said it's not enough to be against something; you have to be for something. So, what policies are we working um, towards that are for women, for unborn children? You know, paid family leave, pregnant worker protections, like things like that. And the frustrating thing is it is more left-leaning people who are pushing a lot of these policies and they want to slide abortion into all of these bills. And that's very frustrating because otherwise it's stuff that I think is common sense that most of us would agree on. And so watching out for that and saying like, no, you're inserting violence into a bill that was actually very pro-woman that we could all agree on. Stop doing that. Like we need nerds like you to do things like that. (laughs) You know what? Uh, I do resemble that remark probably, but, but no, but I, I think your point's well taken. And, and that's kind of why I want you to speak on that is that the, the law is, is valuable. You have to, you know, and, and having, you know, nonviolence in the law is important, but I, I think a lot of us took for granted, you know, just, and not, I shouldn't say everyone, but I, I think there were a lot that just didn't realize the amount of work that is still to be done. Um, yeah. You know, we've done here in Missouri, I think a great job on the supply side, as far as abortions in the state, but now we got to continue working on the demand. And, and that's what I think you all are doing and groups like yourself are doing so well. And to that point, you know, as you said, I think what you're seeing maybe on the border is sometimes more extreme than maybe what, what a pregnant woman in in Missouri would be, you know, dealing with, but those needs are the same. And so could you kind of just touch on like, what are some of the needs that that need to be met for these women in in crisis pregnancies that, that you all are helping to address? Yeah. Well, and I mean, they're more extreme in some cases, but in others, they're not like there is because we don't live in an equitable society yet. Like there is a lot of vulnerability when somebody is facing an unplanned for pregnancy and you know, if they don't have a support system there, they're very exploitable by, you know, bad actors around them and people who want to take advantage of that. And so I think a huge thing, you know, I tell people all the time, like sometimes what's going to, you know, quote unquote, save this baby from abortion. It might be 
helping this mother with childcare or rent or these big ticket items, sometimes it's also just telling her she can do it, that she's strong enough. Like women in today's society are so beaten down and told that they are not enough from the time they're old enough to see the magazines, you know, at the checkout line and register these images and all that, like you're, you're not enough. That's the message we get our whole lives. And so then imagine you find yourself in an unplanned pregnancy and even parents who have planned for, you know, the birth of their children still have that inadequacy fear of like, am I enough? Can I do this? I don't know. And we have such a lack of community these days. You know, we used to live more in a way where it's like you had generations of people helping you and passing down wisdom and stuff. And now we're very individualistic. We don't have a lot of that anymore. And so those insecurities, I think often do lead to abortion. And sometimes just saying, you know, you've got this. And if you don't, I'm here. I'm here to help you. Like I'm going to step up and walk alongside you uh, when it comes to to meeting these needs. And we've really seen here in the Dallas area, um, you know, kind of a more affluent community and in rural areas, you have an even less access to resources and supplies. But um, I had a pregnant mom who literally was going to be sleeping in her car. Actually, she she wasn't pregnant at the time. She had a two-year-old, um, but was going to be sleeping in her car with her two-year-old. And even just looking at the shelter systems, like in Dallas, like a very large town, it was just everywhere was at max capacity. There were all these like restrictions for, you know, age limits and things like that for housing at maternity homes and stuff. And ultimately what ended up happening was it was somebody from our community who stepped up and was like, she can, she can come live with us. We have an extra bedroom. She can stay here. And then she also had the benefit of like that built-in family for a while that was actually like walking alongside her. So sometimes it's big stuff like that, literally like including somebody in your family and housing them. Um, but like I said, other times it's uh, helping somebody, especially if, you know, somebody has a prenatal diagnosis of a disability that can be really, really overwhelming for a lot of couples, especially single parents. And being able to know that somebody else is going to walk with them through that is going to cause them to choose life against termination. Uh, people just need to know that they're loved and they're loved really well. Yeah, no, I I think that's well said. And, um, you know, I guess uh, before I let you go here, I did want to bring up just kind of making a little bit of of a left turn is, um, you know, you're you're pretty public, you know, that that you're agnostic. We do appreciate you coming on the Catholic Conference podcast. But um, is it fair to say that in your work over the years with Pro-Life that you've kind of developed a little bit of a interest or devotion to Our Lady? I have because as an agnostic, when it comes to science and biology and, you know, all this, like I acknowledge the reality of these things. And we started having, as we were looking for our shelter, just the weirdest coincidences where Our Lady was popping up and all these like super, like I could write a whole book about it one day, um, just all of these strange things. And I was like, okay, at some point it's not a coincidence anymore. Like it's happening way too much. And so I actually got to go to Mexico City a few weeks ago and see the Tilma, which for me, that's like the perfect melding of the science stuff. And then also like this like woohoo universe stuff that I'm not really sure what's going on with that, but I think it's kind of cool and I'm very intrigued by it. And so having both of those together, because the Tilma, read about it if you don't know about it, but I mean, like so many fascinating, like people have tried to blow it up and spilt stuff on it and all this crazy stuff. And NASA scientists can't even figure out. And it's all one brushstroke and her eyes has the reflection of Juan Diego, like just wild, crazy. Like you Catholics have some really fascinating, <laughs> you know, where you're 
communion, uh, the Eucharist, I, sorry, yes. I'm former Protestant, but where that like turns to blood and it's like, you, we so could do a much- whole podcast on Eucharistic miracles and it is, yes. It's-, it's wild to me. And I think because I am kind of like, I, I grew up with a faith and I'm sad that I don't have it anymore. Um, but I'm kind of having to like rebuild. And so I'm just looking for the tangible stuff that you can hang on to and be like, okay, this is unexplainable. And so much of that is Our Lady type of stuff. And I just, I find it incredibly fascinating. But then also like, of course she would be showing up in the work we're doing. Mm -hmm. Because as a friend said, like, if anybody understands what these mothers are going through, like being terrified, um, not knowing where their child's going to lay their head, they're having to, a lot of them give birth on their way here, um, or, you know, they're assaulted and become pregnant on the way here, like really horrific stuff like that. Like that heart and what they're going through, like, of course, Mary's heart having experienced that would, would feel for them and want to protect them and want to provide for them. And so it's, I still don't, I don't know. I don't know. Cause like I tell myself in my head, I'm making it up. There's no way. But when you get to like your hundredth weird connection and little like Easter egg thing that happens, it's kind of like, okay, I would be disrespectful at this point, not to acknowledge that it's, it's happening. It's, something's going on. Well, you know, you're saying you're searching and, and, uh, you know, maybe Mary's searching you. Who knows? Who knows? But that can be a podcast for an, another time. Uh, but no, uh, we do very much appreciate your work and, and you know, appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Is there anything else you would like to, to leave, you know, our network with as far as kind of, you know, advice in a post-Dobbs world of what they can be doing now to, to help mothers, to help children? Yeah, I mean be open to to the opportunities right in front of you. And I don't know, say a prayer, meditate on it, whatever you do, but like, just let the universe know, let your higher power know I'm open to this. And you'd be shocked how much it's the checkout person at TJ Maxx who randomly tells you they might be pregnant. Like I have just had the weirdest encounters. I don't know if I give off a vibe or what's happening, but people come to me for stuff like that. And then I'm able to actually um, help in those situations and just support women and children and families better. And so I think, I mean, be careful. It's like that thing where they say, don't pray for patience. Cause then you're going to get a whole bunch of opportunities to learn patience. Yes. It's definitely one of those type <laughs> things that you send out. But once you do it, you will realize the opportunities are everywhere to go beyond just, Hey, how are you? I'm fine. Okay. Let's move on. But actually like to have in-depth conversations with people and see what they're struggling with and offer some of your own gifts to, to help, um, help them on their journey as to be a good agnostic. I'll quote Ram Dass here. He has this great (laughs) quote where he says, uh, we're all just walking each other home. And I think when you start thinking of it that way, like how can you walk well with people? The opportunities are endless and they're not as exhausting or expensive or anything else as people think like they're really um, edifying and make life so much richer. Well, in some of those situations, it may just be the conversation itself is all that is all that that individual needed. So no, that is very good. Well, Hey, I appreciate you so much, Destiny. I I love the work you're doing, and I'm so glad that you were able to come on and speak with us today. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for letting me ramble on your podcast. This was fun. Anytime, anytime. Well, thank you, and thank you to our listeners, and we hope you join us next time on MCC From the Capitol Podcast.